message that the Lord's given me. And uh, I want to start by um, reminding some of us of a movie we saw a number of years ago, and it was a pretty hard movie to watch. It was called Gladiator with Russell Crowe. How many people remember that movie, even if you didn't see it? Well, that's most of us. Anyway, it's all about a, a, a Roman um, officer, army officer, military leader who uh, falls out on the bad side of the emperor, and he ends up in the uh, Circus Max Maximus. The, he ends up having to fight in the, in the ring there, fight against other uh, gladiators or fight against animals. And it's, it's a really hard movie to see because of all the betrayals, because of all the that he goes through. He loses so much in this movie. But really the high point of the movie is a scene where he's in the middle of the gladiatorial ring and he's with a, he's with a group of about, I don't know, six or seven other gladiators that are supposed to fight and kill each other. And um, the um, I guess it's the emperor... Uh, does some things that that basically he just it realizes these guys realize that they're going to be all killed for the sake of this crazy emperor. I don't remember if it was Nero or which one, but um, they do something when these chariots come in with the uh, these chariots come in that got those sharp edges on the wheels sticking out to, to to get you with the blades spinning on their axles. They've got swords and bows. And uh, they start circling these gladiators, and um, Russell Crowe, the whatever I forget his name, Maximus or whatever, but he um, he gathers them all together, and he says, "Put your shields together," and they come together and they form which what the Romans call the turtle, and it's a it's a protection where they're all under all their individual shields become one big covering for them, and they are able to begin to fight against those charioteers that are trying to circle them and kill them because they have banded together to be able to fight as one. And it was a very, very powerful scene. I'm not endorsing the bloodiness of it. It was just the way it was. It was very realistic. But the truth of it is, is that when we as individuals, when we face a common threat, when we face an enemy, we are much better together than we are apart. And the, the, my message this morning is called Better Together. It's a, it's a phrase that's starting to be spoken a lot. I've seen t-shirts with it. My wife has one that has that. There was a church in Omaha when I was living in Omaha that, that used that as one of their slogans for their, their church. And it's very much a true, it's a true statement. We are better together. So I want to talk a little bit about our relationships and how do we get better and we get together. So I want to start by reading in 1 Corinthians 12 a few key verses. Now, I encourage you on our church app, and if you don't have the church app, um, just grab one of our leaders and we'll show you how to get it. Um, you can look under my church app if you're searching for it, and then you have to look for the one that says tithe.ly, tithe.ly to pick the right one. And then you just look for Calvary Assembly Alliance Town or Alliance, and you should be able to find it. But the notes are on there as well as the Bible is on there, and you can follow along in the Bible. If you just have a Bible app like YouVersion or Olive Tree or Gateway, you can do that too. 
But I want to start with 1 Corinthians 12. I did not put the scriptures up on the screen today for you to read. There is PowerPoint slides. I'm not sure if Brett's able to put those on. But they don't include the scriptures. I think I've been making it too easy for you guys. Just to read what's on the screen. I really want you to get into your Bible, whether it's electronic or whether it's a paper Bible. There's something about you going to the Scripture and on your own and opening it and reading it together that it has power. And so I didn't put them on the wall, but I'm going to read them as we go too. And maybe have some of you or have you guys join me to read some of them also. So 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to pick verses 12 and 18 and 26. I kind of put these three verses together. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are still one body, so also it is with Christ. Now God has set the members each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now I want to read Ephesians 2, verse 19, kind of adding to this. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household or the household of God. You are members of the household of God. Notice that Paul said that God sets the members in the body as he pleased. Now I know that that is most accurately translated that God has given you your assignment as, as far as what part of the body you are. Some people are arms. Some people are back. Some people are eyes. Some people are ears. Some people are mouths. We all have different functions, right? And Paul talks extensively about this in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. We often call prophetic people, people who can really see in the Spirit, we call them the eyes of the body. We might also call them the ears because they hear also. We, call, we tend to uh, label strong men that have a gift of service as the back of the body. It's not very fair to them, but we do. And so that's the, that's the most common way of, of understanding that God has set each member in the body as He pleases. But I want to ask you if it might not also be true that God sets each person in a local body as well, that He guides them by His Spirit to that family that He wants them to be a part of, to be knit together with, to be bound with, to serve with, to be committed to. I hear so many testimonies over the year and over the years, people coming to me and saying, Pastor, I came to this church because I was driving by and the Holy Spirit says, that's where I want you to fellowship. That's where I want you to be committed. I meet people that come and, and, and visit us and sit in a chair 
And then they come up to me every and go, God just spoke to me that I'm supposed to be part of this church. This is my new church. Or maybe my church for the first time. That happens a lot. It doesn't happen to everybody, and I don't think it's supposed to, but it definitely does happen. But what I want to say is that I believe God has called us as a local church to be a people that are bound together in what I call covenant relationships. We're going to talk about unpack this. I'm a part of a rotary club in, in, in Alliance here, and um, I've been a rotary member in previous communities too, and um, it's a club that, it's a service club, it's a social club, it's, its purpose is to gather into fellowship, but it's also, we, we try to do things in the community for the good of the community. But when COVID struck, and there were about, we had about 35 people in our club, we meet at Newberry, we were meeting at Newberry's on a Monday lunch or whatever, and uh, mostly business people, um, superintendents, school principals, teachers, bankers, just farmers, ranchers, all kinds of from our diversity of our community. And um, when COVID struck, of course, we had to stop meeting for, I don't know, three or four months. Well, we have it much better here in Nebraska than my family does in, in uh, Washington and my friends do in Oregon. I'm so thankful for our, our government in Nebraska and our governor. But guess what had happened when we started to meet again, when they sent out the email to everybody and they said, come on back, we're all going to gather together. How many people do you think showed up? It was like five. Now it slowly got back up to maybe ten. 11, 12 at the most, if we have a spe somebody special that we know is going to come and address us. Why is that? I would say it's because there's nothing in Rotary except common interest that really binds us together. And so if there's some kind of a threat or some kind of a discomfort, it's a lot easier just to say, I don't, need, I don't need that club. I don't need Rotary. It's, it's also kind of like couples that decide, hey, let's, let's move in together before they get married, before they're married. You know, they say, let's, let's, let's see if we can get along. And so they move in together and, um, and they don't wait to have sexual intimacy until the day that God says you are now united in a covenant, a marriage covenant. So the thing, be, the thing about being just living together is that what? There's nothing keeping you there. If you want to go, one of you wants to go, you just go. There's no covenant. There's no bond. There's just that friendship and whether that's going to sustain or not, and that's why God calls us into making a marriage covenant before Him and before witnesses. It actually creates a guardrail. It creates a protection to protect the children that are born in that marriage, as well as that couple helps them to stay together. And Brooke and I got married. We both um, had family members. My parents who went through divorce. My dad's been married three times, and. Um, both of us had seen broken, wrecked marriages all around us, 
And uh, when we got married, we made a covenant and said there's never going to be a back door for divorce in our marriage. Now, there are times when it's not safe for a marriage for a couple to stay together, and I'm not, uh, that's usually more of an exception. We never, ever agree and tolerate with abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse. In that case, there's a, there's a case for separation. And there needs to be, hopefully, godly counsel and healing and restoration, but it takes repentance on, on the partner that's abusive. It takes, a lot of times, transformation to work out there before that's safe. But generally, in most marriages... The marriage covenant is, is made for us to work it out. There are so many times that if I was not in the marriage covenant, it would have been so much easier to say, I don't need to deal with this. I'm out of here. But because of that covenant, I have stayed in the ring and, and worked things out with my wife. And I've seen that happen with many marriages. God's heart is primarily to heal a marriage not to see it fall apart. And the marriage covenant is such a strength to us. Membership in just about anything is not very popular these days in our culture. Even many believers wonder why the concept of church membership is important or necessary. If they're attending a church, isn't that good enough? But becoming a church member means leaving behind the comfort of individualism and voluntarily allowing yourself to be bound together with others. We do this because Jesus joyfully left behind His comfort and bound Himself to us. He calls us into a body. I want to read a, just a couple scriptures about that. Hebrews 11.25 says to us that Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin in Egypt. Think about that. He chose to be mistreated with the group of people he identified with, said, these are my people. I'm going to share whatever they got to share. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. How many of you recognize the gates of hell is a rather intimidating enemy? Is a church that's built up of kind of like loose informal relationships where people are just acquaintances. They don't really know one another. They're not really involved in their lives. They're not really, they're not really walking together. Is that the kind of church that's going to withstand the assault of hell? Or is it going to be a church that's maybe a little bit more like the army? We've got a few veterans, or the navy, or the marines. or We've got veterans in this room that we just celebrated a few weeks ago. Say when they joined the military, was it kind of like a loosey goosey thing where yeah I'm going to go to boot camp today and I'm going to skip it tomorrow I'm just too tired I need to sleep in. No, they they signed up for something they knew 
was going to require complete commitment. They were being bound together with, another, with a group of other men and women that had the same vision, the same purpose. Jesus said, I'm going to build a church, not a social club. I'm not going to build an entertainment center. I'm not going to build a movie theater. I'm going to build my church. That's why we're here to find out, Jesus, how do I be your church? How do I be with the rest of these people in your church? Then just Acts 20, verse 28, just mentions that Jesus purchased his church, you and me, with his own precious blood. This is important, important enough to Jesus that he would give his own life blood that we might be bound together and become his, the expression of his body in the earth. You know, most believers want three things from their local church. They want care, they want purpose, and they want leadership. Care, they want a place where they can be known and know other people. They want to know that they're going to be cared for, that there's going to be somebody helping them with their issues, helping them experience healing and transformation from their brokenness. Secondly, they, want, they need a place where they can experience purpose. They can discover what, these are the spiritual gifts that God has given me. And uh, they get a chance to actually learn how to minister and pour into other people's lives, to be used by God to encourage and help others to be a blessing to those that are struggling. And thirdly, they need leadership. They, they, need to, they, need, they want a place where they can be spiritually led and biblically fed and lovingly protected by gifted leaders. And none of these things can happen consistently outside of covenant relationships where we have made a commitment. Now, I know that there are a lot of churches that I would not recommend someone being a part of because they are not healthy. I mean, we've all heard of situations where a, a particular leader has got um, a controlling or a dominating type situation where he's basically ruling people with an iron fist. We're also aware of churches where there is all kinds of things being taught that are not biblical. And people are just told they can do whatever feels good. And so we have to really seek the Lord about what church He would have us to be committed to. So does that make sense, those three things? A place where you've received care, a place where you get to show care and minister, learn how to minister and the, the gifts that God has given you, and a place where you get fed and you get encouraged and, and you can get spiritual direction. Those are what most people want. But none of those things really happen outside of covenant relationships. So what is covenant membership or covenant relationship in the local church? Let's take a look at um, five, uh, a few things here, and then we're going to look at five ways how we experience that. First of all, as I mentioned, it's not a social club. Clubs don't thrive in adversity. It's not a place where we come just to reap the benefits without any responsibility. So first of all, covenant relationship, covenant membership, 
is a network of relationships of mutual encouragement and spiritual accountability. That's a scary word there, right? In which we partner with one another for the advance of the gospel in the earth. So it's a place of mutual relationship, but there's also accountability. Secondly, it's an intentional commitment to one another. Amos 3.3 says, How can two people walk together unless they have agreement? We have to have the same values, basically, the same direction, the same vision of where we're going. Or we can't walk together. When there's two visions, what do they call that? Division. And so that's why as a leadership, we're trying to get better at saying, this is where God is calling us. This is what we believe. This is where we're going. And the third thing is that under, in a covenant relationship, I put myself under the care of spiritual leadership and I invite them to hold me accountable as a member of the, of the local church, of the local body. Now, I want to say we at Calvary are just just move, beginning to move this direction. We're not there. We are still what I call a very loose weave. Very loose weave. We really are, to some degree, or quite a bit of degree, strangers and aliens, as Paul mentioned in that verse. First verse we read, one of the first ones. It takes time, it takes opportunity, and it takes being thrust together to form the kind of relationships where there's really strength. And it's not something we can force, but it's something we can begin to cry out to God for and begin to seek and begin to work together to see develop. As Americans, we are so individualistic, so independent. That's a barrier to overcome for real relationships to be formed. But I know that every one of you and me really long for authentic friendships with other believers that are going through the same things I go through. You need that. I need that. But it's very hard to get to it where we actually do it. Our lives are so full. We'll talk about some steps of how we move that direction in a little while. So how do we know that God desires this covenant relationship and doesn't just want us to go to services and be an audience. How do we know that that's what God wants? Well, I want to just share five things real quickly. First of all, the New Testament teaches us that Christians, that the, the pattern of God's, uh, the way He sets it up is for believers to be in a, in a local group, a local family where they actually have spiritual direction and leadership and that they are to submit themselves to leadership or direction. Now I want to hasten to say submission doesn't mean you give your leader a blank check to, and then you get, you're just like a, an automaton or a robot. Whatever they say you do, no. We submit ourselves to our leaders as unto Jesus so that Jesus is always above and has more authority than any leader in your life. My wife submits to my leadership 
as unto the Lord. In other words, she submits to me to lead our family, but she also says, God, if he gets out of line, you need to straighten him out. And God does. And she has the right, if I, if I ever ask her to do anything that is immoral or illegal or unscriptural, she has the full right to say, nobody, we're not going there. Because guess what? I am not Lord. Jesus is Lord. I am learning to follow Him, and she's trying to follow me to the degree that I'm leading her as Jesus would lead her. Let me just read a few scriptures. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, Paul says to this new church, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. 1 Timothy 5.17 goes along with this. Elders or leader, church leaders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Wow. And then Hebrews 13, verse 17, very similar. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And then, I love the verse after that. I didn't put it on the screen. Well, I didn't put any of them on the screen, did I? But I didn't really have it in my notes even. But he says, because we're all going to stand before the chief shepherd. Now, you're, if you're here this morning, you should say, I'm really glad there's a chief shepherd. Because guess what? He's my boss. He's my boss. Somebody was telling me they, they would get into an elevator. Is their pastor friend of mine? And they would ask, they would get in an elevator to pastor's conference and ask the pastors in there, uh, who's, who's your senior pastor? And the pastor would get all flustered and go, well, I'm the senior pastor. And, and then he would say, well, who's, who's your boss? He would go, oh, well, God is my boss. Peter tells us very clearly that we who are pastors and other types of ministers, prophetic or evangelistic or whatever, we are under-shepherds. And that there is a chief shepherd who is my boss. He's the one that corrects me as well as I surround myself with a board of, of mature believers in this church that bring correction, and they do. When I need correction, they have been faithful to speak to me with love and gentleness, but firmness. And I just value that. I don't ever want to be the kind of pastor that abuses my authority. I want to be the kind of pastor that you can follow me and trust that I'm listening and seeking the Lord. And I'd say that the same thing. I know Jennifer would say the same thing as she leads our teenagers, Francisco, as he leads our worship team, Terry, as she helps lead, Brandy, as she leads our Calvary kids. We do ask for your prayers. Secondly, covenant membership, we can tell God desires this. Um, 
because of what Paul said to the elders, both in Ephesus and, and what Peter said to the elders of the church or the leaders of the church. He said, guard yourselves in Acts 20, verse 28. This is Paul. Guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. The church, his church, purchased with his own blood. We read that earlier. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. That says a lot there. It says that God looks at us in a local church as a flock. Those of you that have ever had sheep will probably be smiling because sheep are really difficult to lead in some ways. They're not the brightest animal on the prairie. But God calls us a flock and he actually takes one of the sheep and makes, us, makes me an under-shepherd or some of the sheep. We have Brandy and Jennifer and, and Terry also. But he says that the Holy Spirit has appointed us and and I know all of us as leaders, we can all point to a specific call of God in our lives, calling us into ministry to serve God's people. I will tell you that if it wasn't for the call of God, I would not be doing this. My wife says I'd probably own a wrecking yard somewhere because I love to restore cars. But it's not an easy job because I don't look at it as a job it's not, it's not so bad. I look at it as a calling that I am working and laboring with the Holy Spirit's help. And all of us are in our team. Peter says about the same issue, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you're going to get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over God's people the people assigned to your care. But lead them by your own good example. Interesting, he used that phrase, people assigned to your care. These leaders knew who they were responsible for. And the people in the local church need to recognize that I am assigned to be a part of a local church. It's not supposed to be a smorgasbord where I can just go try this one this week and like a restaurant and this one this week and this one. I'm, we'll go try Chinese this week or whatever. God calls us to be a local church and for our relationships to increase, our commitment to increase, that we would be bound together so that when the floods and the storms come, we stand together. We fight for one another. Thirdly, the New Testament also teaches that sometimes leaders have to bring discipline in a church. How can you bring discipline to somebody that doesn't even consider themselves committed in a local church? They're beyond discipline because they're basically out there to do their own thing. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. That's the first stage. If he listens to you, you've won your brother back. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, witnesses, that every charge may be established by the evidence of witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, implying the church leadership. This is Jesus talking about the church before there ever was a church. That wasn't established until Acts chapter 2. 
He's front-loading these guys. This is how things you're going to need to know. And if he refuses to listen to the church leadership, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, let him be to you as an unsaved, unbelieving person. That was what their vernacular meant for tax collectors back then. So Paul's talking about, or Jesus is talking to his disciples that there's going to be an environment where there are, there are sometimes things where somebody in your church, the local church, sins against others, and they have to be confronted for the church to continue to be healthy. If you have sin that's not addressed, what's going to happen to the health and the vitality of that church? Well, we see that happen actually in Corinth, and, and Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 5 and other places in 2 Corinthians where there's actually a, a guy in the church that's having an affair with his, his stepmother. And Paul and the church have to bring correction, bring discipline. They tell the, they tell the church, this guy needs to get, if he's not going to deal with his sin, then he's got to go. But if there's no bonds of unity and commitment with one another, you can't tell anybody to go. It was clear in the situation there. Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 5, let me read the verses, verses 12 and 13. What have I got to do with judging outsiders, unbelievers? It's not those inside the church whom you need to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from within you or among you. We talked about this a few, a few weeks ago when I talked about being judgy. There is a, a situation where believers are called to judge, not in the sense of condemning, but the sense of weighing what's going on and going, this is not healthy, and addressing it. That's got to go. This person, if they will not respond to the opportunity to repent and get their heart clean and admit that this is not good what they're doing, then they're going to need to go. In order, Paul says, for the whole lump of bread to be good, you cannot have the contaminated part of that thing in that loaf. So who or what determines... What is the criteria for this at Calvary? I'm going to address this in a, more in a minute. Number four, Paul's term uses this term, the household of faith, to describe a unique group identity among believers in a local church. And he, in Galatians 6.10, he says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, we have a common identity in that we have faith that we are people who trust in Jesus Christ, that we have experienced salvation and forgiveness through His blood, that we have experienced God's very Holy Spirit coming and living inside of our lives, our hearts, our spirits. That's why we come together here, because we've had this experience, and now God has placed us together in a local body. We are a household of faith. That's an awesome thing. We have shared values, shared experiences, goals, and vision. And the fifth reason why or God wants us to have these kind of relationships, covenant relationships, is that He describes the church in the Scripture as a body, as a flock, which we just looked at for a moment, and a building, a body, a flock, and a building. 
So those things all got something in common. They are a, a composition of a lot of individual components. Think about it. Let's look at a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as the body is one, it has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. Okay? As so it is with Christ's people. Secondly, a flock. A flock is made up of a bunch of, see if you're awake, sheep. I had one response. One person's awake. <laughs> Paul says in Acts uh, 20, 28, or Luke says, guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. So we are a flock as well as we are a body. And thirdly, we are a building. You are living stones, Peter tells us. I read this this morning when we opened worship. You are living stones with God that God is building into a spiritual temple. Look at yourself and say, I guess I'm a rock. I'm a living stone. Isn't that funny? I'm a, I, I grew up in a builder's home, and I've, I've been a remodeler most of my life as well as a pastor. And just the whole concept of putting the stones together. God fits the stones together the way He wants it. But He's called us to be that body. What happens if all the rocks are just kind of all over the place? Is there any kind of a real building going on? No, they're not. What if the sheep are all scattered and half of them are in the the three or four pastors over. Is there a flock? No. And if the body has got amputated arms and hands and feet and stuff, is it a body? No. God has called you and me to come together to be a body, a flock, and a spiritual house, a spiritual temple for worship of Him. So, in summary... Why covenant membership? First of all, it's God's pattern. It's biblical. This is the way God, I mean, very clearly the scriptures we've read, this is what God's plan. His idea was to build a church and not a shopping mall. To build a church and not a social club. Because the world wants to convince us that we need to maintain our independence and autonomy, that the world wants us to believe, the enemy wants us to believe that any, any authority, any spiritual authority is evil and will only hurt me. And that we just need to float around and never settle down. God says, no, I've called you into covenant relationships in the local church. Secondly, the covenant, why covenant membership? Because it provides support. So when your life starts to fall apart, you can rest assured that there are others who have pledged and promised themselves to walk with you, to love you, to support you, to pray for you, to instruct you, to walk with you through the worst times. I don't know about you, I need that in my life. And God has called us to be that kind of support to one another. In order for us to be that kind of support, we have to know what we're going through. Twelve years ago when my son Noah was killed in a car wreck, 
My church rallied around me. They prayed for us. They brought food. They gave us money. They stopped in and prayed for us. They just loved on us. They were the body of Christ. It was powerful. It helped my wife and I to protect our own relationship and not fall apart in our grief. And the third purpose for covenant membership, covenant relationship, is it gives us purpose. We learn to stand arm in arm with brothers and sisters and say, God's word is truth. And we're united by a covenant, our commitment to what it says. We're willing to join Jesus on his mission to reach the rest of our earth that doesn't know him. God's called us not just to be a church, to enjoy one another and to gather together. He's called us actually on a mission that we would, through all the means that we can find, reach out and share the good news that has brought us to God and reconciled us to Him with other people that don't know Him, starting in our community and working out from there. We support, as you know, about 10 minutes missionaries, maybe more that are on our board out there when you first come in. And that's a way that we do that. But there are lots of other ways. And we have, we're going to be sending a team in just a couple Sundays to the Rosebud Reservation with all these amazing shoeboxes full of goodies for kids, full of uh, things that they need. That's a way that we are expressing the mission of God in our world. All right. And so now as we close, what is, what are the, I'm going to ask you, what are the criteria for becoming a committed member of Calvary, of this particular church? And the first thing I want to say is you need to know, you need to pray and seek God whether this is the house that is to be your home, your spiritual home. I'm going to be the last one to tell somebody, you've got to be a part of Calvary. That's something that you have to go to God and really have a confidence. Yes, God's calling me to be, this is to be my local family, my church home. So we have, um, you know, as, as a Assembly of God Church, we have bylaws and a constitution. And in the bylaws and the constitution, it says these are the kind of people that we receive as members in our church. And um, just I'll just uh, quickly go through some of them, okay, or most of them. The people, we have to have confidence that they've, they've actually know Jesus, that they've actually gotten saved, okay, before they can become a member of the church. Anybody can attend the church, okay? Anybody can come. I hope not everybody in here is saved because I'm hoping you hear the word of God, the good news about you can be saved, your sins can be forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus. You can have a fresh start in life. You can begin to walk with a shepherd, Jesus the shepherd, who will bring healing and restoration to your life. So I'm always hoping that, that, a good, that there's people in this room that don't know that have never met Jesus personally because they can get an opportunity to do that any Sunday they're here. So first of all, to be a member of, our, of, of Calvary, you have to be saved. You have to be trying to live for the Lord, okay? It, it literally says you're living a consistent Christian life. But that sounds like it's kind of like setting the bar way up here. I would word it more that you're getting up every day and saying, Jesus, help me walk with you. All right? How many of you know 
for somebody that's just came out of the world, maybe they're, they're coming from addictions and brokenness, and they have not had role models of what it's like to be a believer. They're a brand new Christian, and they come to our church. Should we expect them to act like somebody that's been a Christian for 20 years? No. But I can expect them to say, Jesus, when you get out of bed, Jesus, help me to walk with you. Show me what that means. Help me find a brother or sister at Calvary that will walk with me, will help me answer some questions, will pray with me, will help me deal with my mother-in-law or whatever. So, Another thing required to be a member here is you agree to, to be governed by our Constitution and bylaws, and you can read that at any time. I can get you a copy. I can email you a copy. We're trying to update the language in them so they're a little more readable. But um, they're basically... They, they're the basic bylaws that have been around with Assemblies of God churches for years. We just try to update the language periodically. You have, you have to be willing to contribute financially as or according to your ability. If you're committed to a church, you need to be committed to be supportive financially. And I'm not saying that you guys aren't. Our church is, is a wonderful giving church. But there's a lot of people that aren't giving I can just, we can tell, I don't, my policy is I never look at the giving records of anybody in this church. I just refuse to look at what people give because when I, I worked under a pastor that did that, and guess what? He would, he would develop anger and bitterness towards certain people that he thought they should be giving or giving more, and they weren't. And I just said, I'm never going to go there. But my board... And my bookkeeper, they know who gives. And they check the records periodically because we're not allowed to put anybody into a leadership position unless they show consistency in some of those basic areas of discipleship. And giving is one of those things. You have to be willing to be... You have to regularly attend church services as you're able, okay? Now, we know that BN people that work crazy schedules can't always come on Sunday. We know people that work at Parker and they work Sundays, they can't always come to church or hardly ever. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we being a body? Are we experiencing a togetherness, a worship together, a love together, a walking together? And so being able to come on a Sunday morning and be here, it does something to knit us together. And, and that's part of being a member. You, you make a commitment to come when you can. You must be 16 years of age or older. You have to read and understand and agree with the 16 basic truths, our 16 doctrines. I hate the word doctrine. This is the booklet, the little brochure that's outside in the hallway there. You can get one, take it home. This goes, this is basically what we believe. It's summarized. It's really summarized. This is basically the whole Bible in a little booklet. It's summarized. <laughs> but it just covers some of the basics of what we believe. You need to know what we believe. Don't ever join a church unless you know what they believe. They might believe in something really funky, and then you become a member, and then you go, I don't believe in that, and they go, well, get out of here. You know. So there are things we believe and things we don't believe, and you need to be aware. So grab one of these if you're interested. And you need to embrace the fact of the, that the Holy, we believe in the Holy Spirit here, we believe that He wants to move in our lives, move in our church, move through the gifts of the Spirit, 
When Terry came, came up this morning, she shared a spiritual gift. It's called revelation or prophetic revelation. She received, God just showed her something, that illustration with the pumpkin seeds, and then she shared that, and God gave her understanding of what it meant and how it applied to us. Okay, we believe and we want, we want the moving of the Holy Spirit in this house. We want people to have dreams, visions. We want people to, to hear the Lord's voice and learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And then last one is we, want, we, we are willing, members need to be willing to assume responsibility to join us on our mission of sharing the good news of Jesus beyond these walls. Now, did I share anything that was heresy for you? I hope not. So this morning, if, you're, if you believe God is calling you, speaking to you about becoming committed to becoming bound together with this local church, that we are to be that people that you walk with and both you are pastored by and cared for, but also that there's accountability. And you're going to invite us and allow our leadership to speak into your life. Now, I know that's scary. I've had it happen to me a lot of times over the years. And I thank God for it because it really helped me rescue me from some directions I was going. I got called on the carpet when I was a youth pastor for some really dumb things I did. That was just the beginning. <laughs> but if you believe God's calling you to become a member, for us to be your church home, and not just a, a smorgasbord where you're just kind of visiting and sampling the wares and then you're off and there's no real commitment, if God's calling you to be a member, then I want to um, give you some things you can do. Not everybody here is supposed to be a member of Calvary. Some of you are in transition, preparing to move or to become maybe part of another church. Some of you are not committed to following Jesus yet. Jesus is really not your Lord. You may have had a salvation experience where you've received him and and there was a, it was a powerful experience, but you've not really surrendered to Him being Lord of your life, calling the shots for you, then you're not ready to become a member. Some of you are unwilling to give up your relational in, independence to enter into a covenant relationship. You, you're, you're afraid of the intimacy. You're afraid of the commitment. You're afraid of the accountability. Then you're not ready yet. Some of you are fearful because of those things. It's really good to pray to become convinced one way or the other. It's like a person choosing to go into the military. They've got to weigh it. What are the benefits? Get a, well, nowadays you get a pretty good salary. You get full benefits. You get uniforms. You get to go out and do something cool. But then, and there's other advantages. I have a son in the, in the Air Force that's going to retire in four years. And he does pretty good. He makes more money than I do, that's for sure. But you have to also weigh the disadvantages, the pain and the suffering that you go through when you're in the military. The fact that you have a bureaucracy in the military that doesn't necessarily make the best decisions telling you what to do. The fact that you may have a drill sergeant or a, or a superior that doesn't treat you well. You have to decide, I'm hoping the church isn't going to be that way for you. I'm hoping it's not going to be a problem with leaders that are overbearing. I don't believe that's our situation here. But you've got to weigh whether God's called you to be a member, and many people are just not there yet. That's fine. 
Because maybe down the road, they will grow and develop to the point where they are. But I know that I believe there are many in our congregation. It's time for you to make a commitment and to become part of our body in a sense of us developing friendships, covenant relationship together. Where we're really walking together. We're really caring for one another. And we're really trying to go for the mission of Jesus. The mission of God to reach our community. Communities. I want a group of people to be like that gladiator turtle. That when the enemy comes in, we're going to put our shields together and we're going to say, no way, buddy. And we're going to go after the enemy and take him down. That's what the gladiator did in that movie. You know, the end times are upon us, I believe. And if the enemy catches us unaware, unprepared, unconnected, I'm afraid of what the carnage might be. I really believe God is trying to call his people together, that we would be a people ready to stand together, to walk together, to be doing his mission together in these last days. So if you're interested, and I know we've gone a little bit over, we're just about done, talk to me or talk to one of our board members if you're interested in becoming a member. We have a card we use to fill out. It's an application. You fill that out. These are in the hallway. You fill that out, and uh, we will interview you and pray together. We'll sit down and, ask, and go over things, ask questions. You get to ask any questions you want. I encourage you to read our 16 truths, fundamental truths or doctrines before you, you make it that far. And, uh, and then once you are sure, and we, we as a board will meet, and we will, we will review and pray over your application and uh, receive you as a member unless there's issues or stuff that we need to talk about first. So this morning we're going to close now in prayer. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to speak to you and uh, I ask God to guide you in the way he would go. I'm sure hoping that the future of Calvary is going to be a future where we become that group of this, that family of God that is knit together, that is bound together, that is going forward in the vision of God together. Because it is better together. Lord God, we just thank you this morning for your spirit. I thank you for your help today. It's not an easy issue, to easy subject to preach on. But God, I really believe you've given us this word and you've called us and challenging us, God, to take a step of commitment to, uh, to move towards intentional relationships, covenant relationships, which really means that we kind of bind ourselves together to walk together, to, to minister together, to be accountable to one another and to leadership, to be cared for, to be in an environment, Lord, where we are nurtured and led and directed spiritually and receive the things that we need to be a flock. Lord, we ask that you would make us at Calvary into that flock, into that body, into that building, that spiritual temple to worship you. And I just thank you so much for your people here this morning. I ask you bless them as they go and they fellowship now. We thank you for this beautiful day you've given us, God, and we ask now you'd minister to those that come forward for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you desire personal prayer or ministry,